Pinta garrafón que estaba en mi casa, profe. Dale, profe. Con agua siempre nos vamos a oxidar. Oh, no comas ansias, Nacho. Te quirice. Aquí tengo la pócima mágica para hacer las aguas locas. Pero eso es mezcal. ¿Qué? Dicen que raspa bien gacho. El chiste es que hay alcohol, ¿no? Ah, claro, por When I think about all the Sunday family lunches that I attended as a child, I can never recall I don't have an image of somebody bringing out a bottle of mezcal. I have a multitude of aunts and uncles and their proportional amount of cousins. Some come from Michoacán, some are full-on chilangos, but they all share their love for tequila while neglecting any other agave tradition or origin. Maybe the only other Mexican spirit that I remember they shyly mentioned was Charanda from Uruapan, but that changed. Today, every time we celebrate something important, I'm in charge of bringing the agave spirits. My mother has become fond of Sacatoro, and she had never drunk spirits in her life before. And because my brother is a fancy kid, he waits every year for his step at the birthday bottle. But how did this happen? How did agave spirits start their way into the Mexican household? And I say the Mexican household because as teenagers we used to drink it because it was the cheapest, fastest way to get drunk, but not in your family reunion. How did they become the global poster child for crafted spirits? There are many stories and versions about this, but this is the one that I truly think started it all. Welcome to the secret, secret origin of mezcal. Hello everyone, this is Heritage Mezcal, and I am Salvador Peribán, Chava Peribán, your host. And today I am here with Saloran. Hello, Saloran. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, I'm terrible with this part, so I always tell uh, the people that I invite to introduce themselves. Yeah, so my name is Saloran. Uh, oh, sorry. It's all right, <laughs> don't worry about it. Everybody, you know, I, I have to thank my mom for giving me such a, a unique name, I would say. And I love it. Yeah. Uh, and I have been in the agave industry for 20 years now. And um, good Lord, I yeah. mean, that's a while. Yeah. And I have to say, I have seen brands, you know, rise and fall. I have seen how they started. I have seen them, all of them drunk. Of course, of, of course, every single of them, I have seen them absolutely drunk. Uh, even I, though even though they're here for the cultural product, right? They're not here to party. They're yeah. here for the cultural product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Depending on what day of the week. If it's if it's right. a Monday, it's all about the culture. But getting on to Wednesday, well, actually, I would say getting on to Tuesday, and this is important with the story. Getting on to Tuesday, uh, that's when it all got started, in a way. So. Okay, so I, I invited you because I and, and we were talking about this earlier on with Senorito Lubank. We did an episode called "The Secret Origin of Mezcal," and he was arguing or uh, he was telling the story of how mezcal became the juggernaut, the huge. Well, that's funny. Now everybody says it's massive. It's really still tiny to these days in terms of liters when compared to tequila, but I guess it's very. It has a lot of media around it. 
and he was giving his perspective on how he thought that started. And it all came down to Ron Cooper and Del Maguey. But I, 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 I don't quite agree with Hovenlu in this one. I think there was a significant number of people in Mexican grounds doing a lot of work, doing a lot of discovery that really nourished this discovery of mezcal by other people. And I think you were part of that. Well, I I was part of that in a very lucky way, I would say. It was mm. how I got started, actually, with mezcal, right? So um, I think yes and no, he's right in terms of Ron Cooper or not Ron Cooper, in terms that Ron Cooper is the image, the marketing image that a lot of people have seen. And everything he has done has had a lot of value because he was able to go abroad. But then again, I mean, it. this is part of the story that's really interesting in the sense that when you go abroad and you show something from Mexico, it's mm. magical, it's exquisite, it's this, it's that. So Ron Cooper, he's an artist and he knows how to sell himself because he does. But now doing the freaking groundwork in Mexico City and in Mexico in general, now that was a different story. Because at, at the moment before the mezcal boom started, uh, it was a rowdy drink. And I I remember when I was in school rest, uh, studying restaurant administration, right, that, um, that that's how it all got started for me. I called my ex-boss, right, and told him, hey, you know, can you please help me out? I need something to, you know, to do something different for school, yada, yada, yada. And it was my first semester in school. Um, and what happened is that he told me, hey, why don't you come down on a, it was a Saturday morning and meet up with this guy? I was like, okay. Now, but which year, which year are we talking here? That was, when was this happening? 2002, 2003. Jesus Christ. So I was 12 years old. I was 13 years old when this was happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, you okay. know, in Mexico, I, I remember when I was 12, my dad would give me a little bit of to 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 taste of tequila. But Yeah, well, I, I was already yeah. drinking, but still I was very young. Yeah. I was not drinking mezcal. I guess that's that's yeah. my point. But well, anyway, I wasn't so... drinking mezcal when I was 13 either, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, so what happened, this was it was like in Mexico, it was a magical place. So mm. this restaurant was called the Red Fly Taverna. And I remember when I was, I worked at the Red Fly, literally when it opened and I was washing dishes. Why? Because my parents, they said, we're not going to pay school for you unless you really, really want it. So I said, okay. And um, the owners of the Red Fly were three painters, right? One of them, oddly enough, was a really good friend of my father's, but that's a different story. So okay. when I started school, I wanted to do something interesting and innovative. And Hernan, who was the owner of the Red Fly Taverna, he told me, hey, meet with this guy. And I was like, okay, sure. So I show up, you know, uh, one Saturday morning at 11 o'clock in the morning. And well, it is 12 o'clock anywhere in the world. So why don't we yes. start uh, drinking? 
And there's and this... mezcal time, it's usually better in the morning, to be honest. Well, like mezcal. 7 a.m., 8 a.m. <laughs> mezcales are wonderful. <laughs> like, uh, like noon, it's such a gringo concept. I think 8 a.m. for your first mezcal is absolutely delightful. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, sorry for no, interrupting. It's all right. No, but I totally agree. <laughs> So anyway, so I knock on the door. Well, actually, I think I had, I still had keys at that time. So I go into the red fly and there was this really strange character. So um, he is a man that's really thin, uh, but he is quite fit, you know, I, I mean, still like thin, but fit in terms of muscle, muscle tone, right? Yeah. As I think in Oaxaca, they will say tlayudo. Possibly. I, you I, know, like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. these men that are super skinny, but you don't want to pick up a fight with oh, them. Oh, yeah. No, no, the idea no. is like yeah. you hit them <laughs> on the face and they won't even feel it. Yeah. They're stronger than Terminator, the two Terminators <laughs> put together. Like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so this tlayudo, um, I sit down with him and he has like, like a backpack. But it was kind of a backpack where a lot of things would fit inside. And I don't know how many bottles he had inside his backpack, right? And it was kind of like, like Mary Poppins's bag in a way, you know, he just kept on pull, pulling out, pulling out, pulling out bottles. The Jeez. the name of the of the well, of the brand he had at the time was called La Venencia. And the man in front of me that had really deep glasses. And if he took them off, his eyes would actually look smaller, you know. Uh, the name of this absolutely and utterly wonderful man is Tio Corne. Cornelio. The legendary Tio Corne. The legendary Tio Corne. And, and again, I mean... I can mention other people, other gringos that also helped a lot in the world of mezcal, but the one that did all the legwork, and I'm and I'm really saying all the legwork because I was his young Paduan sometimes carrying backpacks full of booze, you know, going from restaurant to restaurant to see who would pay attention to us, you know, see who would listen to us, was Cornelio. And he would have, uh, I remember... Uh, some of the first mezcales that I tried with him that day, it was an arroqueño. It was it was a tobasiche and a blend. Mm -hmm. So you were so lucky. I mean, that to, for that to be your first like complex mezcal tasting. I mean that's that's the dream of everyone, <laughs> you know. Arroque, like, <laughs> well, yeah, totally. I I didn't know yeah, it at yeah. the time. It was one of those things that when I was tasting the mezcals, I didn't know what they were at the time. And uh, with Cornelio, uh, I started, you know, from the get go to learn from mezcal. I was so lucky to learn from some of the most amazing producers, like, for example, Ran Minero, and when Lalo was still with Ran Minero, uh, with La Locura. And, and then what happened is that we would gather every Tuesday, and that's why I say Tuesdays. We would gather every Tuesday and we would have tertulias. So before the logia really became the logia of the mezcolatras. 
it, we would gather, we would talk about the politics. Wait, 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 wait. Just what what the hell is the Logio Mescolatras? That sounds like a cult. That sounds like some Charles Manson stuff. Were you guys sacrificing goats? And like, okay, you, you need to explain that. Like, <laughs> You have joined the sacred order of the stonecutters who since ancient times have split the rocks of ignorance that obscure the light of knowledge and truth. Now let's all get drunk and play ping pong. Yeah! Well, we were kind of sacrificing bottles, I would say. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But what, what was that? So, okay. Yeah. Like for, yeah. So, just, what, so, what the hell is that? Well, the thing that that's how it kind of the Logia got started, because, of course, the name of Logia came afterwards. We would gather on Tuesdays to try mezcals. You know, and some people were, I mean, some people that had brands were there, like uh, some of the guys from Alipus and Lanzantes were there, but they had already, they already had Alipus. So they actually mm. were the first ones to have an actual brand, right? Mm. And to sell it in their restaurant. They they all were already established, but there wasn't this real interest of getting it outside of the restaurant then okay. um alan from uh who uh, now Milagrito del corazón yeah ah, no. yeah yeah el oh, mascarado el joven alan yeah so oh, wow. I, I i yeah I, I know him very well because the first time i did a, i did a technology related project uh for mezcal it was uh with memo abad and with him and carla so yeah, yeah. okay so we're talking like the madman that really, really started it all. Okay. Yeah. And so at that time, Alan didn't have a brand. And I mean, the thing is that I knew Alan from before because that was when he still had Pata Negra. And another legendary bar in the history of Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, maybe that, that will be an amazing episode, just Pata Negra. <laughs> and... <laughs> no, but I literally, I know I went to Pata Negra before it was the huge thing that it is now when it was just a bar. It was mm. in a different place, in a different location. But again, that's a tale for another time. Mm -hmm. yes, uh, yes, yes. So it would be Hernan, Alan, um, the guys from Mezcales de Leyenda. Uh, they were there. Uh, and, you know, we started gathering and we would talk politics. We would talk this and we would talk that. And then suddenly we decided, again, because I was doing kind of projects for school, it was... Of course, it came from Cornelio. It can, I would, so I say that the mastermind of all of it was Cornelio in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all kind of backed him up and helped him out. We had the venue at the Red Fly Taverna, which oddly enough was absolutely and utterly blue. So everything was blue, but it was called the Red Fly Taverna. <laughs> and we did. We started working on things and it was in 2005 that we did a gathering with um, researchers like Jorge Larso and Sochil. We invited some of the producers. We invited the producers from Sanseca. We invited Graciela and Lalo. And we were talking about, you know, uh, how agave grows or different. I mean, we were talking about a lot of things because, of course, we had the biologists that, oddly mm. enough, were my friends. Like when when they, they got there, they were like, 
what are you doing here? And I'm like, no, what are you doing here? Like, this is <laughs> this is a project that I'm working on or that I'm helping with. Uh, because, what are, but 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 because it was a disconnect of why like the biologist and the restaurateur will be there like no, it was not that clear or, no, or why it, would you think no it was more because i used to to study physics before and then suddenly um. i got lost in the world and then i came back to mexico and then they found me there and it was like weren't you in spain or something like that and i was like oh no i came back a while ago uh but um and that, I love this. and you know i remember that day lalo he uh, he brought some cooked agave and it was kind of like in the spare of the moment you know i grabbed the cooked agave i started to squeeze it like literally squeeze it with my hands and i oh. made a salsa borracha with the elements that I had in the kitchen. And then afterwards, I made something for dinner or something like that after every everybody had been been there. And so it, it was kind of like this really interesting moment in time when we didn't know something was really starting. We were just gathering there talking about you know, biology, talking about agave, talking about production, having people from Guerrero, having people from Oaxaca, having people from Michoacán, having people from all around. Uh, me wow. in the kitchen making a salsa borracha because <laughs> it was like... With agave juice. Are you yeah. crazy? Like, well, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, this is like the actual agave syrup, you know, it's... it's yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was cooked agave that Lalo brought. And from that day onward, uh, Cornelio started the Logia of the Mezcolatras, and we would gather every Tuesday to try different agaves, uh, different mezcals from different regions. And we would invite a lot of people. Like, uh, I remember when when I was there, I'm, I had a lot of friends from abroad. So I would always take them, especially the yeah. Italians, the Italians. I mean, the Italians absolutely and utterly love agave <laughs> spirits. I mean, they would go insane for mezcal. And uh, the Italians were like, oh, I want to buy more bottles and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I also remember that at that time I was going to go to to visit my friends in Spain or something like that. And one of the guys from Sanseca gave me a bottle of mezcal. Which is delightful. I mean, I love Sansecan. But uh, this yeah. was a pechuga from Sansecan. Oof. You lucky. You lucky and one. You lucky Padawan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he told me, take this bottle and start conquering the world. And I took that bottle. And conquered the world. Well. <laughs> I'm still trying to conquer the world, but that's a different yeah. story. I mean, I'm not that malicious, you know. I'm just trying to get everybody drunk uh, with yes, agave spirits. But um, <laughs> but I I did go to Spain. I I did take it to different restaurants, and I remember I went to uh, a specific restaurant in Spain that's called La Casa del Agave, and they had millions of tequilas. I mean, like they had a huge collection of tequila. And when I was sitting with this person, I was like, why don't you have, I mean, it's called La Casa del Agave, but you only have tequila. So this is not representative. And I gave him some mezcal and he was like intrigued. But this was really early on before there was a, a mezcal boom. This was in 2005 to 2006. 
it, because it was wow. Christmas. And uh, that's why I'm saying 2005 and 2006, because it was right yeah. when yeah. the year changing, changed, yeah. changing <laughs> the year. But I, I have to say that I do recognize what Ron Cooper has done because he has. And to be honest with you, the woman behind Ron Cooper that really did the legwork was Misty Kartoffel, who's an amazing yeah. bartender. And she's such an amazing human. Another person that has done a lot for Agave is um, Douglas French, the guy from Scorpio Mescal, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, because he he's still doing it. He's still, you know, planting agaves. I, I think he hasn't done his mezcal brand anymore for various reasons. He kind of started also the Master Mezcalier. I mean, the Master Mezcalier is... Program. An interesting... Certification. Certification. It gives me the creeps, to be very honest. Just the, the term gives me the creeps a little bit. But hey, I, I, I just, uh, I, but, it touches me. But no, but the thing is that there was nothing. There, there was nothing yeah. at that time. So, of course, you, you, when you have nothing, you do whatever you can. So, uh, but uh, what they did, I mean, it was a good start. I would say it was a starting point. And that's the reality. It it was a starting point for a lot of us because that uh, gave it the proximity for other people from abroad to come and understand what really Agave is about. But I, I do believe that the person that did most of the legwork in Mexico City and in a lot of places in Mexico, and I'm talking legwork because, again, yeah, you know, he had backpack, his ra- backpack, backpack full of bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and literally, I, I counted those bottles and it was more than 20. Yeah. Jeez. It was it was Cornelio, and he. So Salorin, yeah. you know, like I, I'm seeing this or I'm listening to this 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 episode, and I am understanding that this is just the tip of the iceberg. But I love that you are giving us insight into the underbelly, really the the, the beginnings of, of this. We're about to finish this episode, which ran far and beyond, and I'm actually very grateful about it. I I am more of the idea these days that episodes should run as as long as they should. But I think we should save some stuff for, for future episodes. So I'm super, super grateful that you took the time to to record with me. And I, I think we'll have more things to talk about in the future. So Saloren, really, really, really enjoying this. I would love to ha- get more mezcal gossip with you pretty soon. I would love that because there's there's a lot that has changed since back in the day. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll see you pretty soon. Adiosito to everyone. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Adios. Adios. I know, I know, I know. This should have gone on for way longer. And it will. I'll track some of the names that were mentioned this episode, and I'll try to record with them. It is hard because many of them, they don't quite speak English, but I'll have to find a way. I truly want to thank Saloren for her stories. And she, in turn, wants to thank Keegan Meneses, without whom she wouldn't have found this podcast and who has filled her heart and soul with new paths and adventures in this vast spirits world. We fully support loving Heritage Mezcal. All sounds and music are handmade by Roy Sierra. Gracias por aguantarnos. Nos vemos prontito. Bye.